Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Allahumma inna nasaluka wa natuqa. Nasaluka ya Rabbi an taftaha alina fatuhan arifin wa tuwafiqina ila kundi khair. Bismillah. So if I am not mistaken, we last time, the last one that we covered was number 108. Pretty sure we covered 108. So we're going to go to number 109. Uh, inshallah. Just by way of review, this is the Hikam of Ibn Ata'ala, a secondary Rahimahullah Ta'ala, the spiritual aphorisms of Ibn Ata'ala. Uh, with the commentary of Al-Alama al-Shaykh Abdul-Majeer al-Sharnubi al-Azhari Rahimahullah ta'ala wa nafarallahu bi'alumikum bi'alumihi fi darin amin Qala al-Masannifu rahimahullah So we left off on 109 109 <laughs> so he says that What's a good translation for that? Don't I'm just going to use demand It might not be quite as strong as demand But you get the idea Don't demand Or, or don't Ask from your Lord It's not that That's not that's good I'm trying Hold on It's going to come don't, um, basically, let me just give the meaning. When you make dua, don't get impatient with Allah that the answer hasn't come. If you're going to get impatient with anyone, get impatient with yourself because you have bad manners. That's what he says. <laughs> if you, you know, don't get impatient with Allah because the answer to your dua didn't come yet. If you're going to get upset with anyone, get upset with yourself because you have bad manners. And, and trying to put a timeline on Allah as to when He's going to answer whatever He's going to answer, right? And generally speaking, we know that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala answers our du'as, but He answers them when He wants to in the way that He wants to, uh, or He and, and part of that can be meaning that He delays it until the day of judgment. So uh, you know, our 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 role is to ask of Allah. And our role is to turn towards Allah and to depend upon Allah and to seek Him. And after that, it's not our business what He does, subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's His business. So one of the things that He says in the commentary here, uh, He says, So He says, Because the one who's calling upon Allah all they're trying to do is to make manifest their their utmost dependency upon Allah and their servitude to Allah. They're calling and they're asking dua as an exposition of that station. Ya Allah, when I, when I turn to Allah and I ask Him and I beg Him, I'm showing that I'm dependent on Him and I'm showing that I need Him and so on. And so part of that is that he says It's interesting because it's like a very common word used in English now it says, and, and part of that servitude and part of that submission to God Is to not believe that I'm entitled to anything Right? That's a very common thing now People are very entitled 
I deserve this, I deserve that, so on and so forth. Why didn't you do this? All they see is themselves and what they deserve, mashallah. This is al-istihqaq, entitlement. So he says that part of this showing of our submission to Allah is to not be entitled in the way that we ask of Him. That I'm asking of you, Allah, in your malik al-mulk. I'm asking you Allah and you are the owner of all of the dominion and you give it to whoever you want and you take it from whoever you want and you honor whoever you want and you abase whoever you want subhana and you're my lord and I'm turning towards you that's it it's not uh, we don't we don't the asking that we do of Allah is an asking of submission it's not an asking of demanding right, this is important <clears throat> Number 110 he says So then what does it look like If someone's adab is actually good If their manners are actually good What does it look like He says in 110 <laughs> He says when Allah Has given you the ability to be outwardly obedient to his command You're following his command outwardly And internally he gave you the provision, the risk He gave you the provision to be able to submit to his power So outwardly I'm doing what I'm supposed to do Inwardly I'm submitted to his power and his might Whatever you want in the world Allah, it's your world I'm submitting to you, whatever it is I'm going to do whatever I can, internally and externally because this happens, right? Sometimes externally the person is submitted But internally they're not submitted They haven't actually uh, accepted the situation Whatever it might be It's not always very easy Actually, uh, one person that we were just talking about Told us this when, when his wife died That, you know, this, this issue of like, Externally I can limit my actions and do what I'm supposed to do But internally it's hard to I'm trying to get my heart to accept the reality of her dying unexpectedly when we were young You know So this, both of them happen So he says basically if Allah has given you the ability to have both of these Then he has given you an immense gift He has given you an immense gift Subhanahu wa ta'ala Then he opens this uh, this topic uh, He says This is 111 So what is he saying? Takhsis so in the, the 108 that we covered last time We talked about this idea of And khususiyya is usually referred to like That special thing inside of the human being That makes them truly human Not their physical reality But their spiritual reality Because that's what differentiates human beings From other creation, right? Is that human beings Allah breathed from ruhi from his spirit into Adam السلام, And he created Adam And we're the children of Adam This is, this is our, our special reality And so uh, What he's saying here is that Not everyone who uh, 
So then there's people who, uh, last time it talked about like on this top side, there's the khususiyah, the special reality of human beings, and then there's the bashariyah of human beings, which is basically their everyday human stuff. You know, like someone could be the most great person in the world, and if they don't take a shower, they're going to smell. <laughs> like they're the best person in the world <laughs> And if they don't take a shower They're going to smell Because that's their basharia That's their humanness In like the physical sense But their, their specialness Their special reality internally Is a different issue So basically what he's getting at here Is this idea that Not everybody is equal In terms of their closeness to Allah And yet There can be people who are Attain some level of elevated status in their relationship with Allah. They're from the khas. They're from the like elect taqsis. So they've been elected by Allah. They've been given special gifts or whatever it might be. It says not everyone that's like this has actually been purified. Takhlisuhu. They're not always like you might see someone. For example, let's just take something that's not hard to understand rather than what he mentions in the book, um, which is like. You see someone who every single day they're in Salat, every day. They're in Fajr, they're in Isha, whatever it might be. Years pass. That's a special gift. Allah has chosen that person and given them this special gift. But it doesn't mean that they themselves have been purified yet. It could mean that they still have issues in their heart. It could mean that they're still attached to worldly things. It could be. So what he's saying is not everyone who has been given gifts from Allah is actually purified. And this is an important distinction because sometimes we assume that, right? Like sometimes we see someone who's really impressive or whatever it might be. And we start to think like, okay, they're perfect. We can let our guard down. We can just be naive. We can do all kinds of things. And then people get taken advantage of, right? This happens all the time. So he's saying not everyone who has something special is actually pure. And it's kind of like a play on words in Arabic. It doesn't really work so well in English. So it's not, he says not everyone who has taqsis has takhlis not everyone that has takhsis has takhlis they're not all purified so he says for example like maybe someone Allah gives them a miracle on their hands but he doesn't make them steadfast and being steadfast is the greatest miracle so like it's not always that you know, sometimes we get so and so is Anyways, he changes gears a little bit now in 112. لا يحتقر الورد إلا جهول الوارد يوجد في الدار الآخرة والورد ينطوي بانطواء هذه الدار وأولى ما يعتنى به ما لا يخلف وجوده الورد هو طالبه منك والوالد أنت تطلبه من وأينما هو طالبه منك مما هو مطلبك من. So he says that now he's talking about as we mentioned before this idea of the wird and the wird, the wird and the wird, the very important words in Islamic spirituality. The wird is that act, that devotional act that you do regularly. Simplest definition of the wird. The wird is the devotional act that you do regularly. So maybe you read some extra Qur'an every single day. That's your wird of Qur'an every single day. Maybe you make some charity. That's your wird of charity. Maybe you say La ilaha illallah a hundred times. 
every day. That's your word of la ilaha illallah, whatever it is. It's your act of devotion that you do regularly. And the warid is that gift that Allah descends into the heart of the person. Maybe it's like gratitude, it's love, it's patience, it's... Um, What's that word in English? Qana'ah. Um, uh, where did it go? Subhanallah. They, uh, contentment. Contentment with like what they have. So these are, these are things that Allah descends into the heart of the person. Okay? They're warid. Literally, it's something that comes in. Like if you say, uh, I go to somewhere, you say, Ana I go to this place. So it's literally something that comes into your, into your heart. <clears throat> so he says, no one looks down on the wird except an ignorant person. No one looks down on the wird except an ignorant person. That 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 daily act of devotion. And he says, the thing that Allah puts into your heart, the wird, just from the hereafter. And the wird, it's like from the the wird is from the other world, the unseen or the hereafter. And the wird is in this life. It's your act of worship that you're doing in this life. So, you know, the thing, basically, it's, and, and the wird is that which he's asking you to do. Allah is asking you to do. And the wird is the thing that you're hoping for from him. And what is the difference between what he is asking of you and what you're asking of him? Meaning, like, if you were to say which one's more important, what he's asking of you is what's more important, not what you're asking of him. Why does this matter? Because people oftentimes, and like you see this in Islamic spirituality all the time, people, and even in modern language, even though we don't talk about it the same, as people will still say it. I mentioned in the khutbah, the whole thing about how like, I pray and I pray and I pray and I don't feel anything. The wird is the prayer. The warid is that thing that you're hoping Allah is going to put in your heart when you pray. The point is not the warid, the point is the wird. The point is to do what Allah told you to do. And what he told you to do is more important than what you're thinking of getting from him. Right? So it's really important to distinguish because what happens is people get confused. They think we worship Allah for feelings. They think we worship Allah because it makes us feel good. They worship Allah. People worship Allah because they want miracles. People will do all kinds of things. Right? But in the end, we worship Allah and we do what he told us to do. And what he told us to do is the wit, is that act of worship. Right? <coughs> ورود الإمداد بحسب الاستعداد وشروق الأنوار على حسب صفاء الأسرار. So he says, I'm going to read the commentary on this one. Um, the direct translation would be, of the, of the of the aphorism would be, that the coming of the aid from Allah. It comes in connection to the person's preparation or their readiness. Comes in relation to their readiness. And the illumination of the lights of the heart comes in relation to the purity that they have inside. So what is this what is this saying? Saying that the aid that Allah gives the person is connected to how prepared they are for that aid. So he says, for example, أَنَّ وُرُودُ الْأَمْدَادِ مِنْ حَضْرَةِ الْمَلِكِ الْجَوَادِ إِنَّمَا يَكُونُ لِلْعَبْدِ بِحَسْبِ اسْتِعْدَادِهِ لِذَلِكِ بِتَطْهِيرِ فُؤَادِهِ وَمُلَازَمَتِهِ لِأَوْرَادِهِ So basically, the person when they do their worship, 
when they purify their heart from its diseases and they do their worship, they're strengthening their heart. And in their strengthening of the heart, they're preparing it to be able to receive more from Allah. For him to, to give him give them more aid and to give them more firmness and to give them more strength and so on. But they have to do their strengthening too and they have to do their purifying too. Okay? So this is the first half of what he says. And the second half of what he says is, and the illumination that happens internally comes in relation to how pure they are inside. Okay? Uh, so and how disconnected they are from material things and so on and so on. So uh, the example that I always talk about in, time, in terms of this like illumination and light in the heart type thing and so on is that, uh, and this is not just weirdo talk from like later Muslims or something, right? This idea of illumination in the heart is very, very early in Islam. Uh, Imam Malik, when Imam Shafi'i came to Imam Malik, and Imam Shafi'i was a young student, and Imam Malik was the great Imam, and Shafi'i comes in front of Imam Malik, and Malik tells him, إن الله قد قذف في في قلبك نورا فلا تطفيه بظلمة معاصي. He told him, Allah has placed light in your heart. Don't extinguish it by the darkness of sin. This is Malik to Shafi'i, like very very early and very scholarly people, right? So what does this mean? What the what the scholars will always say is that in the physical world, we see and we understand by the means of light, right? Like if the room is totally dark, you can't discern anything. The room, if it's completely pitch black, the room looks everything in the room looks the same. The column, the pillar looks the same as the chair, looks the same as the floor, looks the same as the wall, looks the same as the microphone. Nothing, there's no distinguishing anything, it's all black. What allows us to be able to distinguish and understand in the physical realm is the existence of light. And they say that, they say that the same thing is true about the heart. That the ability for the heart to discern, the ability for the heart to understand good and bad and so on, is related to the level of light that it has inside. And if there's darkness in the heart, then it takes away from that light. The Prophet said, for example, that when the person commits a sin, there's a black dot that goes on their heart. And it, it, and it grows and it grows and it grows as the sins grow until it takes over the heart. Or if they do good, then there's a white dot that goes on the heart and it grows and it grows and it grows, right? So uh, the heart is the same. Once the bad sins are gotten rid of, the diseases are getting rid of, the connection to worldly things, the, the desire for fame, the desire for appreciation, all of these kind of things that get in the way of true sincerity with Allah, then once the, as those go and they go and they go, then the heart becomes more and more illuminated. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. The next one's really uh, quite remarkable. <coughs> he says, Anghafinu, this is 114 now. Anghafinu, the heedless person. The heedless person, Ida asbaha yanzuru madha yaf'al. Wal aqilu yanzuru madha yaf'alu Allahu bi. He says, The heedless person, when he wakes up, he looks at what he's going to do. And as for the person of intellect, when he wakes up, he looks to what Allah is going to do with him. <laughs> the heedless person looks and says, oh, all they're thinking about is themselves. All they're thinking about is the material world. Right? So they, they wake up and the only thing they're thinking about is what, I'm, what am I going to do? And he says, the, the person of intellect, 
Intellect is not just intelligence. Aql is not just like they're smart. Aql is uh, the combination of the intelligence of the mind and the intelligence of the heart. This is the person who has intellect. And so the intellect, the person who has intellect, they, they wake up and they say, Oh, what is Allah doing with me today? <laughs> Try to figure out what's, you know. Because they, they're going to go about their day still. It's not like they're just going to wake up and lay in bed and say, Okay. Let's see what Allah's going to do with me today. And they just lay there and they don't do anything. It's <laughs> not the point. the point. They're going to go through their day just like the other person is going to go through their day. But their perspective on their day is going to be different. Right? They'll be looking at it differently. Uh, he says, وَلِذَا قَالَ بَعْضُهُمْ مَنْ اَحْتَدَى إِلَى الْحَقِّ لَمْ يَحْتَدِي إِلَى نَفْسِي وَمَنْ اَهْتَدَى إِلَى نَفْسِهِ لَمْ يَهْتَدِي إِلَى اللَّهِ So he says uh, Subhanallah He says, uh, he says that the person who has been guided uh, to Allah then they don't look to themselves and the person who has been guided to themselves then they don't look to Allah right? this, this is their perspective He says فَانْظُرْ إِذَا اسْتَقْبَلَكَ الشُّغْلِ فَإِنْ عَادَ قَلْبُكَ فِي أَوَّلِ وَهْلَ إِلَى حَوْلِكَ وَقُوَّتِكَ فَأَنْتَ الْمُنْقَطِعُ عَنَ اللَّهِ وَإِنْ عَادَ قَلْبُكَ إِلَى اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهِ فَأَنْتَ الْوَاصِلُ إِلَيْهِ He says, so look what happens. Look at yourself. What do you do? He says, look at yourself. What happens when you get caught up with something? When you get busy with something, you get caught up with something? Look to yourself. See, when I get caught up with this thing, does my heart go immediately to my own power and my own ability? Or does my heart go immediately to the power and ability of Allah? And you know who you are then. <laughs> and then you know who you are. Then Allah has heavy duty. Number 115 His, his like, It's such a shame to translate it Because the way he structures the expressions in Arabic is so beautiful I, I wish there was a way to... Uh, to, to give that justice but basically what he's saying in this one is that the the worshippers and the ascetics so he's not necessarily saying these people are right okay just to be the worshippers what he means by the worshippers the people who their only concern is doing as much worship as possible and as Zuhad the ascetics their concern is to stay away from as many things as possible. As little food as possible, as little clothes as possible, as little speech as possible. As this is their thing. Just minimize everything as much as you possibly can. These are the Zuhad. So he says, these two groups of people, uh, they're estranged from everything. They're estranged from everything. Everything in, the, everything in life, they're completely estranged from it. They don't have anything to do with it. They're completely, you know, Disconnected from it, trying to stay away from it, so on and so forth. Now, one of the things that often comes up in these kind of things is that if you're trying to stay away from something, it means you're actually with it. 
you're not away from it until you don't even have to think about it anymore. Then you're away from it. So they say like don't don't try to you shouldn't want fame, right? But you also shouldn't want obscurity. Because in both cases you're wanting something. And the only thing you should really want is wherever Allah puts you. <laughs> and that's like first stages don't want fame. Second stages don't want obscurity either. Just want whatever Allah wants. So he's saying these people, they're obsessed with worship and they're obsessed with asceticism. So they're estranged from everything. Because actually, they do not see Allah in everything. Okay? They're, they're estranged from all of these things because they don't see Allah in all of these things. And had they seen Allah in all of these things, then they wouldn't have been estranged from anything. You see why? This is actually extremely profound. Right? Because sometimes what might happen is we want to worship more, we want to do more, we want to do this, we want to do this, we want to do this. All of these things, all of these things that we're attached to. Right? They're actually these actions, whatever they might be. And we're upset that, like, for example, we have to work. Work, it just never ends, right? So you have to work. But that's because you're not seeing Allah in the work. You're only seeing it in those other things. You're only see, I shouldn't say it. You're only seeing Him in those other things. But if you saw Allah in everything, then you go here, you go here. It doesn't make any difference. All of it's the same. You see what he's saying? This is really important. Because I think a lot of times in, in our how we understand spirituality, we understand it in a very impractical way. And what, what, one of the things that the true spiritual masters will kind of like make clear over all of this is that Islamic spirituality is not impractical. Like, there could be the guy who's the one who works at the coffee shop 12 hours a day in order to pay his bills. He could be like the greatest spiritual. He could have the best spiritual station in the whole area. He's never able to make it to the masjid. He can't even do this or that, whatever. He doesn't have any extra money. All of it's just work because this is what he has. He's just driving the taxi, driving the taxi, driving the taxi. Just searching for his risk. And there's only so much time to pray. He just stops and prays and then he keeps going again. And this person, and then someone will say, oh, he doesn't have any time for this. He doesn't have any time for that. He has to, no matter what he's doing, he's thinking about Allah anyways. Because all of this he's seeing on Allah in it. Right? <coughs> Amaraka 116 he says 116 he says Amaraka fi says He says that he commanded you in this world to look at that which he created Subhana. This is the extent of our experience of God, in a sense, right? Like our experience of God in the physical world is limited to that which He has put in the world. So we look at the things that is in the world and we think about Him, Subhanahu wa Taala, and so on. He says, but in the next life, He's going to unveil to you the the perfection of His essence, Subhana. In the next life, you know Allah as He is, Subhanahu wa Taala. As is, as is possible
<coughs> he says, Anima Minka, 117, it's a continuation. Anima Minka and Nakalata Spiro Anhu, Fashadakama Baraza Minhu. He says, basically, he knew that in this life, you can't actually encompass witnessing him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what he did then was he just let you witness some of his signs. He let you see like some of the things that he did, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the human being can't continue, you know, the story in Musa alayhi salam, when the people of Musa alayhi salam said, oh Allah, let us see you, we just want to see you. And like, you know, and then Musa talks to Allah and he tells him, can we just see you? Allah tells him, Musa, you can't see me, but look at that mountain and, you know, let's see what happens. So Musa looks at the mountain alayhi salam, and then Allah just uh, manifests the tiniest of thing on the mountain and the mountain gets completely destroyed and Musa falls down in prostration everything is like completely you that's like not even not even a glimpse right of the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the body we can't handle it in this life the limitations of this life mean that you can't handle it in the first place so he says la tasbiru anhu he knew you can't actually handle it. So what he did, out of his mercy, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is he let you witness some of what has come from him. He let you witness some of what has come from him. He made all these beautiful things and all of these mountains and these animals and everything. The balance between the things and the wind and the rain and the clouds and the sky and the stars and the universe. He gave you all of these things just so you can get like a little bit of an idea right, of what the reality of it all is. لما علم 118 لما علم الحق منك وجود الملل لون لك الطاعات وعلم ما فيك من وجود الشره فحجرها عليك في بعض الاوقات ليكون همك اقامه الصلاه لا وجود الصلاه فما كل مسل مقيم مقيم interesting he says he says that when Allah knew, when the truth, Allah knew that you would be afflicted with fatigue or boredom. Melal usually in like modern Arabic is boredom. That basically means you're not paying attention anymore. Right? Yes. When he knew that you're going to be afflicted by this, then he diversified the acts of worship for you. Imagine if like all you had was reading Qur'an. Every time you want to worship Allah, you have to read Qur'an. It'd be, it'd be actually, for most people, kind of hard. But He gives you Qur'an, and He gives you dua, and He gives you dhikr, and He gives you salah, and He gives you charity, and He gives you being nice to people, and He gives you helping people, and He gives you meditation, and He gives you contemplation, He gives you all of these things, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So see, when He knew from you that you're going to become bored, and this is 1.18, uh, when He knew from you that you're going to become bored, and you're going to lose attention and stuff, he gave you all of these different types of worship. And um, uh, and when he knew and when he knew on top of that that um, so yeah, so when he knew also that sometimes you're going to um, 
like you're gonna try to do them too quickly you're gonna just try to rush through them and try to get these things done you know when he knew that you're gonna have this kind of behavior then he also made it so that you can't do certain things in certain times right so he knew you're gonna get bored so he gave you all these acts of worship then he gave you all these acts of worship and he knew that you're gonna try to rush through them and like you know just start like becoming quantitative about them so he made it so that there's times when you can't do them so then he, so he made it subhanahu wa ta'ala so now you have to like pay attention right so like I can't just pray all the time I can just keep praying and praying and praying and praying because after Asr before Maghrib I can't now once I pray my Fard I can't pray now or after after I pray my Fajr and then until the sun rises and goes up a little bit I can't pray now or if it's the middle of the day I can't pray so it's like he'll put little when you you can't make can't read the Quran when you're like uh, in a state of Janaba, for example. Right? So he, he'll put like places when you can't do certain things, so that you can now focus. So now you can kind of pull back a little bit. So then when you come back to it, you focus on it more. You don't just go through it, go through it, go through it. Right? And he did this so that your aspiration can be establishing the prayer, not just doing the prayer. It's not just get it done, get it done, get it done. But I want to establish it. I want to do it properly. So it's because not everyone who prays is muqeen. Not everyone who prays is someone who establishes their prayer. Some people, they just pray. But it's not like, uh, you know, really something very important to them. This is, you know, subhanAllah, like, I think sometimes in, uh, for like Western Muslims, we always look for these really sophisticated things and we think we're so smart and stuff. There are certain things that are very simple. Like for example, if you establish your prayer in your life, it's going to have impact. It means you make sure that your life is built around prayer. As much as you can, your life is built around prayer. For example, you make a place in your house that's a qibla. It's a masjid and bait. Your masjid and bait. It's very, you know, uh, Sayyidina Musa he tells the people of Bani Israel, qibla. Make your make your qibla your houses, right? So they say like one of the one of the sunan or one of the, the practices that's that's good is to have a place in your home this is the place you pray. Hmm. So anyway, you don't have to say if you've done it or not. But it's very much different. When your house is just it's your house and you pray wherever you can, whenever you can, it feels one way. But when there's a certain spot, this is the spot where you pray. Okay, I know some one brother actually he, he took this Masjid carpet in his house. They had an extra room. He doesn't live in California. It's hard to have extra rooms in California. <laughs> he lives in somewhere else where it's easy to have extra rooms. So he took the extra room and he put the musalla carpet in the extra room. This room is only for worship. So when you walk into that place, you feel different, right? This is iqamat al-salat. It's to establish the prayer. To build the day around the prayer. To make sure that the prayer is going to be... It's a very simple thing. It's a very powerful thing. Very simple thing, for example, is to memorize a little bit of Qur'an. We take this, everyone, like the American Muslim, favorite American Muslim motto is, you should understand the Qur'an. You don't have to worry about memorization so much and so on. So, so what happens in the end? People don't memorize anything. And the Prophet ﷺ said that the heart that doesn't have Qur'an in it is like an abandoned house. It's like an abandoned house, doesn't have anything. Just take like a few verses, put them in. Every time you memorize something, you're depositing it into your heart. Now that Qur'an is yours, it's going to stay there. 
Nobody can take it from you. So it's like you're doing iqama of that of that of that Quran. So not everyone who does these acts of worship are they establishing them, but the but the goal is to establish them so that one can be firm. One nineteen, a salatu. We'll just do one or two more. So now we'll do probably two more because they're connected and he's kind of like getting into salat now, you know, this the, the worship, the prayer. Says the prayer is the purification of the heart from the impurities of sin. The prayer is the purification of the heart from the impurities of sin. Sometimes it's important to think about these acts of worship in that way. Right? Like, yes, I'm standing to worship Allah. But I have to remind myself, when I pray, this is purifying me. It's getting rid of my sins. It's getting rid of the mistakes that I made and so on. So now this, this takes on a different flavor, right? So it says it's a purification of the things that's in the heart. And it's a, it's a, it's a requesting of the opening of the doors of the unseen. It says it's a means by which the doors to the unseen are opened. But this is because... What are we doing? Like, imagine you're standing in Salah. Imagine if, like, this is this room is the world we're in, right? And then there's the door. And when you open the door, you go into the unseen. When you stand in the Salah and you say Allahu Akbar, you open the door into being in the presence of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala in a spiritual sense. So, this is like a, an opening of the door to the unseen. It's an opening of the door to the deeper realities of existence and so on and so forth. So this then becomes, uh, you know, something that's so, so beautiful because when the heart is purified, it lifts. He says, when the heart is purified, it lifts the veils that are existing between the person and Allah. They can know Allah, but the go- the the key to all of that is in the prayer. Uh, and then he says, uh, one twenty is a salatu mahalun munaja wa ma'adinun musafa tatasiru fiha mayadinun asrar. وتشرق فيها شوارق الأنوار علم وجود الضعف منك فقلل أعدادها وعلم احتياجك إلى فضله فكثر أمدادها سبحانه He said the prayer is the place wherein you call upon Allah Munaja Munaja is when you talk to Allah directly You just speak to Him It's not necessarily that you're asking It's not you're just talking Ya Allah this is my state, you know. Ibn Al-Ta'ala actually at the end of the hikam he has a section on munajat, on calling to Allah. And some of them are really beautiful. He says, uh, إلهي أنا الجاهل في علمي فكيف لا أكون جهولا في جهلي He says Allah I'm ignorant in my knowledge so how can I not be even more ignorant in my ignorance إلهي أنا I'm the one who's in need when I'm I'm the one أنا الفقير في غناية فكيف لا أكون فقيرا في فقري He says I'm, I'm the one who's in need I'm impoverished when I have things so how can I not be impoverished when I'm impoverished? You know, he's just talking to Allah. Like, Allah, this is my situation. This is who I am. This is what... 
That's munaja. So he says, salah mahalun munaja. That the prayer is the place wherein we enter into this intimate discourse with Allah. وَمَعْدِنُ musafa And it's the, the mine the mine of purity. That this is where we really purify ourselves. تَتَّسِعُ فِيهَا مَيَادِينُ الْأَسْرَارِ That this is the place where the secrets of the heart and the secrets of the knowledge of God are, are found in the prayer. And in it are the, the, the lights, the uh, the lights of illumination of the heart radiate in the prayer. One teacher I was reading with him recently on uh, in fiqh, and he said something interesting. He said in fiqh, when you, uh, one of the things you notice in salat is that when we make salat, and you look at all these different areas of the salat, all of them are directly pointed at the qibla. As much as you can, right? You stand, you you stand directly this way. You don't stand like to a side, to whatever. You stand directly facing the qibla, and your face is there, and your head is down a little bit, right? And your feet are pointed to the qibla, and your body's, and then you make, and then even when you make sujood, you bend your toes, but your toes, your toes are remaining facing the qibla when you bend them, and your body is facing like you never stop facing the qibla. He said because the qibla is. Like the, uh, it's like a, it's it's a source of khair in the world. So when you, and when you're it's it's you know Allah told us to focus on that, and focus on that direction, and that's where His gifts come from, Subhanahu wa Taala. So He's saying, you know, when you go and you focus, you focus. This is the place where you do it. You call upon Allah. The lights, Allah descends them upon the hearts, and He says that He knew from you that you're going to be weak. So he made the number of prayers that you have to do few. He knew you're going to be weak, so he made the amount of prayers that you have to do few. But he knew your need for it, so he made their benefit great. Isn't that beautiful? He knew that you would. He knew your weakness, so he made the number of prayers that you have few, and he knew how much you needed their benefit, so he made their benefit great. Right? This whole story about the fifty and the fifty become the five, right? In the Isra and Mi'raj, the Prophet them goes and Allah gives them fifty prayers and he goes to Musa and they have the conversation back and forth and they end up in five prayers. All of that is just so that you can have fewer prayers with the same amount of benefit. It's purely a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says this is all from his gift. That this is you know, you can do he'll do this and, and give you so much from it. He'll make them five and not only the reward, right? So what he's saying in the commentary is like we always say, he he gave he made us have five prayers, but he gave us the reward of fifty. But he also gave us five prayers with the benefit of fifty. In terms of like the spiritual connection to Allah and the coming close to Allah, it's as if you prayed fifty when you pray five. So it's not it's not only an issue of reward. I mean, as you know, all of these things, it's not just we're staying away from punishment or we're getting reward. But the, the 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 ultimate goal of all of it is to be with to be with Allah, and to be close to Allah. Right. So He made the benefit in terms of coming close to Him the equivalent of fifty out of five from His generosity. Subhanahu wa taala. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi That's our number. We finished number one twenty. So we start next time with one twenty one.